Mikael, Mikael Salin, you are chairman of the sixth department in the Swedish Royal Academy of War Sciences. Uh, I'm vice chairman. Uh, we have uh, together worked for more than a year now on the uh, project that we are going to present to you, which now has resulted in yet another publication and namely about the southern dimension of European security. You have a background as a state secretary in the Swedish Ministry of Defense. You have been ambassador to Turkey and Serbia. You have been director general of the Folke Bernadot, founding, I think, uh, director general of the Folke Bernadot Academy. So you have a broad, and I worked for the EU for many years, and uh, before that in the Swedish Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So together, I think we have been able to pool some ideas and some resources and spoken to a lot of people uh, in the academy and outside the academy, bringing forward this product, which is part of a broader uh, spectrum of projects in the context of the academy, uh, dealing with everything from military aspects to uh, civilian aspects of defense, uh, mm -hmm. And uh, our department, of course, is, I would say, a rather eminent um, collection of specialists, uh, also high-level specialists, former prime ministers, foreign ministers, and other diplomats, ambassadors, uh, researchers, and others, professors in the disciplines that are most relevant for what we now are talking about. So um, this... Um, I'm going to show you now a letter from our uh, governor of the academy, our president of the academy, the former Chod, uh, uh, chief, uh, the commander-in-chief of the Swedish Armed Forces, uh, General Göransson, who is introducing the book, saying that it is perhaps a bit unusual in the sense that what we have been doing before in the academy on this has been very much directed to uh, serving some views on what we should do in terms of Swedish defense, uh, mainly focused on the East-West dimension. And now we are focusing in this project more on the sort of challenging uh, this traditional, more traditional perspective by looking more at the European perspective. And in this context, uh, the, the, uh, the vital question about the southern dimension of European security and global security. And uh, of course, um, this is not uh, the uh, normal discourse in Sweden, where the issues of uh, the future of Africa, Middle East, and so on, many, very often is discussed in development terms or in other non-military terms. But uh, we believe that it is a perspective which is becoming increasingly important for Europe and indirectly for Swedish security. So maybe you would like to say, reflect a little bit on how you see this book, this product, uh, product that we are now putting forward. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lars-Erik. Lars-Erik Lundin, Vice Chairman uh, and, and long-standing uh, expert on international affairs, mainly in the framework of the European Union and, and other multilateral uh, formats. 
yes, uh, I, I think that uh, flowing from what you just said, the effort now uh, is uh, not to replace uh, traditional perspectives uh, on security of Sweden, but to complement with uh, perspectives that we feel strongly need to be looked into more because uh, the point of departure of this whole project uh, is about uh, what Sweden as a small country in the north of Europe needs to do and can do by way of adapting to uh, trends uh, of security in Europe, but also how can we contribute. Uh, it's natural for us now to uh, not look upon uh, uh, the southern dimension as something that is antithetical to to the east-west dimension. Rather, it's a question of realizing that Sweden as a European country needs to adapt to and needs to seek to contribute to uh, trends in Europe as concerns its, Europe's attempts to cope with a lot of challenges. We are saying this today in, a, uh, in, a, in the background of uh, the recent uh, elections in the US which is, uh, of course, something that uh, the outcome of which we could not know uh, writing this report, but we are flagging uh, everywhere for the uh, uh, chief element of insecurity lying in this US election, whether it would be continued the Trump administration rule for another four years or whether uh, there would be a change, which would have an impact on transatlantic relations in, in various ways. So uh, we are seeking to broaden the security uh, concept uh, in the traditional North European sense while realizing that uh, the uh, uh, issues pertaining to the South, Southern dimension needs to be and is in fact also being securitized. It's not, uh, it's not soft security versus hard, it is both. So in that sense, we feel that we are adding to something which is, uh, needs to be harmonized. Yeah. Um, if you, if I now will show the, the, the summary, uh, the list of content of the report to give a more concrete picture of the, what we have tried to do. First to say that we have written in English deliberately uh, in order to reach out and uh, tr try to, to uh, establish contacts not only with our corresponding members uh, who are sitting in in different countries of the world uh, all the way from Washington to Moscow and um, and also to reach out to others who might be interested in having a dialogue with us other academies not least so we have an executive summary uh, rather uh, a voluminous executive summary for those who don't have time to read the whole thing. Uh, we have a Swedish summary. We have a, a, a conceptual uh, purpose-oriented uh, discussion in the first chapter dealing with uh, uh, the main concepts uh, the, and the context in which we are situating the report. And of course, the issue of uh, both long-term and short-term trends, including mega trends and including, of course, up to basically the U.S. elections. Uh, we have not been able to take into account the result of the U.S. election, but we believe that the transatlantic dimension is fundamentally important. Uh, we then enter into the challenge part of the, of the report, 
crucial interrelationship between flow security on the one hand and conflicts. And uh, you will say a bit more about that uh, shortly. And then the other main part of the report is about the responses, European responses on different levels and in different dimensions, going from multilateral, thematic, actor-oriented, seeing EU and Europe both as an arena and as an actor. So maybe I should stop there and, and give you an opportunity to reflect on the structure of the report. Yes, uh, you already stated the, uh, the main, main structural component, which is the division uh, in the Toynbean style between challenges and responses. You remember Arnold Toynbee's uh, yeah. famous history, histori historiography at the time. Carefully, of course, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I think, and I think we both think that it's a very fruitful way to approach security to, to state the, the challenges and then to discuss responses in terms of both who is the, the responder, the responding actor, and we are using the word Europe with the RUP in parentheses in order to stress that in some cases the issue of whether it is the EU collectively, multilaterally or individual countries individually or in, in groups that are the actors. But regardless of that, for, for Sweden as a country, we need to adapt to, to this. So responding uh, in various ways depending on also the distinction between short, shorter term crisis management and longer term uh, capacity building is another fruitful uh, way to, to sort of sort out things, to, uh, to distinguish between key components. And as we discuss uh, crisis management, or in fact both dimensions in time, uh, the issue is to um, distinguish between immediately security relevant conflicts in the near abroad of Europe, uh, which Europe cannot ignore having to face and to be active on in the context where the US, um, you might say also the global powers have tended to not any longer be ready to contain the near abroad uh, conflicts uh, like the like in Syria, like in Iraq, like in Libya, for example, so that it leaves Europe with no option but to uh, seek to be actively involved as a preventive measure, hoping that hoping to stall those conflicts from uh, spilling over into Europe, or otherwise develop into things which would be very detrimental to European security. And also, uh, if you talk about conflicts, then you, we also talk about flow and flow security because the global flows and the regional flows tend to be root causes of the conflicts that exist. And the, this further enhances the necessity for, the, for Europe to, be, to try, given the uh, limited resources and limited degrees of unity, also on the part of European states to deal with those uh, uh, those challenges because otherwise uh, we would be worse off. Uh, so it's a very complex material and if we talk about the South, we are also talking about things which 
uh, relate to and uh, have an impact on the individual country's uh, security concerns, including post-colonial in, in the cases of some. So that uh, we tend to be uh, having facing extraordinary problems in finding the uniting points of joint action on those issues. Yeah. Maybe I should just uh, specify a bit more on the issue of flows, uh, which you describe now as uh, partly uh, an issue of uh, being uh, root causes of the conflicts. Uh, obviously, we have problems of WMD proliferation, we have organized crime and terrorism, we have uh, cyber issues, we have the migration challenge, we have the uh, issue of protecting trade and assistance. And behind all of this, we have uh, megatrends, uh, climate change and so forth. We have a poverty issue of development in general, uh, many, many uh, factors that determine uh, uh, conflict also and are in, impacted upon by conflict and impact on, on Europe. Mm. So that's, uh, that's uh, Maybe you want to say a little bit about the case studies that uh, in particular you have devoted quite a bit of time to and that you follow constantly in this context. Mm -hmm. I should add first uh, to what you said that uh, these, uh, the broadness of the issues, uh, if we link it to flow security, is also what links the southern dimension to what we might call the eastern dimension because there is there's so much uh, overlap between those, and, and Russia obviously is, is one, of, one of the factors combining those. So we are claiming that we can hardly understand the long-term dynamics of the Eastern dimension without understanding that it is in the South that the interaction between the global players take place, takes place in various ways. So for us, for example, Baltic Sea security and Black Sea security are related in various ways, uh, uh, helping to deepen understanding. So uh, as we worked on this uh, uh, book and this uh, report, when, and we had a pre-study last year, uh, also focusing on this, um, we, uh, we needed to make a choice between uh, the conflicts that there are many, of course, in the Middle East and, the, and North Africa, but that were most relevant to European security in our view. We do not deal in this report with the uh, Nagorno-Karabakh con conflict between Azerbaijan and Armenia because it uh, it was one of the uh, more of a frozen conflict uh, during the time of, of our work here, although, uh, although obviously it exploded uh, this fall in such a way that we would uh, necessarily have focused on that one, the, that conflict also. But in our case, it is... Uh, the four, a group of four conflicts, uh, obviously, uh, and picked because, for obvious reasons, in a way. Uh, so it is uh, Syria, uh, it is uh, Iran. Uh, we link Iran and Iraq, although those two conflicts are, are only partly overlapping. Uh, and then it is Libya, and then it is uh, the Eastern Mediterranean. Yeah. Uh, and the most uh, obviously uh, obvious connection is uh, between European security and these conflicts is with the, the conflict in Libya and in the conflict with uh, within the Eastern Mediterranean, because in those two conflicts it relates concretely and immediately to the security of EU member states. In the case of Eastern Mediterranean, it's obviously Greece and Cyprus. 
Uh, and in the case of uh, Libya, it is uh, southern European states, France and Italy, especially having various kinds and degrees of interest involved in this nowadays multilateral uh, conflict configuration. We should add here also that, and we point out that very clearly, that uh, there are ups and downs in terms of escalation, de-escalation, uh, going on even as we work with this report. So in the case of Libya, that we are now in a situation where there are peace talks uh, underway uh, in Geneva and, uh, and in Morocco and uh, where not, uh, which is fine. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, the problems are solved in a long-term way, but it is a, a vastly important thing for there to be at least a de-escalation process. Uh, and in the case of uh, for example, Eastern Mediterranean, uh, acute uh, situations uh, interplay with uh, less acute ones. So there are variations. One has to uh, analyze those in a, a little bit more long-term terms, trying to understand the, their dynamics. Yeah. But these, uh, these are the kinds of conflicts which uh, need to uh, involve the, the uh, European, European countries and, and the EU. And uh, this is the, the overwhelming simultaneously of these conflicts also simultaneously with the Belarus situation is what propels uh, uh, Mr. Borrell, the uh, uh, foreign, uh, foreign affairs chief uh, of the EU, to uh, talk about um, being engulfed in flames, which we chose to pick as our title for this report. Yeah. And, and we are stressing, stressing generally that uh, we are facing an extraordinarily uh, extraordinary deterioration of the of security in Europe as a, in a step-by-step -step process in the last few years. We'll see what the US elections will do about that, but this is the basic trend that we have perceived of and which is the point of departure of this report. Yeah. When we prepared for the, um, the initial uh, version of this report, we had... Uh, and uh, an earlier publication we also did on the situation in the region. We, we've, you made some prediction yourself about what might happen in Idlib, uh, the humanitarian catastrophe, which then actually happened some, some months later. And um, in general, you, you, you focused very much on the, on the role of Turkey. And you have a we have a special section about it, Turkey as a variable here. Uh, you can see Turkey as very important in almost all the contexts that we are mentioning, including Iraq. And um, uh, this uh, development of the situation in and around Turkey has uh, made the, uh, the whole discussion much less of an academic exercise that might have been seen as an academic seminar discussion a couple of years ago. Uh, although Turkey or, already at that point was important, of course, for the EU. Uh, but now it's a, it's a vital topic in uh, many European Council discussions. And it brings us over to the response part of the, of the, of the, um, uh, of the, of the small book. Uh, the, the very fact that uh, European leaders and world leaders are constantly challenged trying to situate themselves in relation to Turkey and what Turkey means for the, for the region and the situation of Turkey having developed in, 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 a, in a very, very unfortunate direction in the, in the last years. Maybe you want to say a few words about that since that's one of your key interests. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I can only subscribe to what you said about the role of Turkey. We use the word the Turkish variable. Uh, because it is a variable in, in the sense of both independent and dependent variable, as the political scientists uh, like to talk about, uh, both being the result of something and the cause of, of something. And uh, with the uh, forward-leaning uh, policies that are conducted nowadays by the, by the incumbent regime in Ankara, uh, the Turkish variable has tended to take on a, a new dimension compared to the past when uh, Turkey was uh, securely angered in uh, in NATO, uh, being the main actor to to uh, to signal to uh, stabilize the southern flank, as as is the NATO language, and also as a candidate member of the EU and and uh, the the prevailing view at the time, of course, uh, concerning the EU was that. A Turkey that has adapted to the uh, key communautaire of the European would be an enormously advantageous asset for Europe and for European security. But there are some caveats here and uh, things are not moving uh, in the right direction there. Uh, and in the case of NATO and the US, it, uh, things have become very much um, complicated as a result of, uh, of certain aggressive foreign policies conducted by the current Turkish uh, government, which makes both NATO and the EU, especially e the EU, face uh, a, a, an extraordinary dilemma concerning how to deal with this uh, important country, important both in terms of population size, uh, NATO's second biggest army, and, and also with interests, uh, 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 tentacles of interest uh, extending to Libya where, and to Syria and to Iraq and to now Nagorno-Karabakh uh, uh, and to the Eastern Mediterranean uh, with the uh, still unsolved Cyprus issue being uh, in a more difficult situation now than was the case uh, a long time ago. So uh, the Turkish variable tends in those terms to become increasingly important, but also an increasingly important dilemma for the EU to how to, how to balance confrontation or the steadfastness with uh, with uh, dialogue, let's say, because uh, Turkey is not going away, so one has to have a relation. And the, the migration issue, of course, is a, is a major point there, uh, dictating a lot of the of the German position on this, uh, as compared to the French position on this. So it is also in the Turkey the Turkey policy issues uh, have an impact on internal dynamics of the EU as well in, in various ways. So so. To bring it back a little bit to Sweden, uh, if, if people in Sweden wonder about uh, what's 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 the importance of this for all of this for Swedish security policy, obviously uh, we have again here the link to the East, uh, in the sense that what uh, Turkey does, it doesn't just do vis-a-vis -vis, uh, NATO, the EU, it also does it vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis Russia. Uh, some part of of it is cooperation, some part of it is, uh, is a co a competition or even conflict uh, in mm. various arenas. And, and that has obviously uh, uh, an important in importance in Moscow that needs to be factored in into an, any analysis of conflict prevention, conflict management and right. conflict resolution. So that's one part of it. The other part is, is the word that you, the term that you mentioned, balance, uh, what we call a painful balancing act in the report, focusing on the fact that we, we have to 
on the European side, we have to think about acting across a whole spectrum of non-military, ranging to also defense-related measures that need to factor in our questions like, how much of this uh, relationship to Africa and the Middle East is and should be security policy? Uh, or how, how should we delimit uh, our discussion? Uh, what is fruitful and constructive to bring into a holistic, comprehensive approach uh, in our uh, relationship to, the, to these regions? And uh, there you, we have coined a new concept that you might want to introduce, Mikael. You mean comprehensive uh, approach? Yeah, 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> 2.0. Well. Yes, I, I should, I should uh, first introduce another concept uh, pair that we are uh, working with, which is uh, action-reaction. Uh, and the, the, the way uh, there is interaction between, uh, between those two uh, in various ways, uh, creating, creating the dynamics of things. Uh, and... Uh, we mentioned before the, uh, the, the pair between, between uh, deterrence and reassurance. That's another conceptual approach, which is somehow linked, linked of course, to action-reaction. And then you have the short-term crisis management and longer-term capacity building. If you, if you combine all these into a whole, it becomes a sort of three-dimensional matrix, perhaps, if you try to uh, visualize it. But then realize that, that we need to broaden, as I said, the, uh, uh, the concept of security when dealing with what uh, Sweden and Europe is, uh, are facing. But you also have to securitize in, in, in various ways policies towards the south, uh, which used to be divided between um, aid policy and migration policy. Uh, and uh, now there's realization that everything is somehow linked uh, and uh, facing countries with uh, painful, painful choices, uh, as you said. But this is also a way we, we uh, call this comprehensive approach uh, 2.0 in order to uh, demarcate that comprehensiveness. Uh, it's, uh, it's a cheap word to use because uh, it simply says that uh, everything needs to be taken into account. Mm. But if we say 2.0, it means uh, taking a... Departing from older concepts of comprehensive approach, which tended to be compartmentalized into various policy areas, into a coherent whole, which needs to realize both the need for broadness of the concept, but also the, the need for uh, assessing the security proper dimension into policy areas uh, where everything belongs. So it is uh, the, uh, the analysts right to uh, to coin concepts uh, facing reality where this is easier said than done but uh, but nonetheless uh, this is what we are claiming in this report yeah i mean uh, just to, as an anecdote i can say that when i started working on the issues related to comprehensiveness in the eu context in, including discussions in the eu military committee in the early 2000 people were talking about comprehensiveness to see you know, what can the civilians do for us in, uh, during a military operations? And then we went further and started to discuss what happens after the end of a military operation? What can we, what, what follow-up uh, measures are necessary? A, a traumatic problem that came up, uh, for instance, in Libya uh, later, and of course in Iraq. 
But then uh, still the appreciation of the importance of the civilian measures were, were limited. And uh, what we could see when we were doing interviews in our earlier project a couple of years ago, for instance, in Paris, was that uh, people were start, starting to worry about, on, on the senior military levels as well, what happens with our societies? Uh, what happens uh, with domestic uh, stability in the face of these flows that we were facing, both terrorism, migration, and so on? And there was a need for a more holistic view, since we actually went into a situation where a number of countries in Europe had to develop, deploy large uh, uh, military uh, resources to even maintain uh, domestic uh, stability. So that's why uh, comprehensiveness has become a much more or less, much less trivial concept, a much more uh, problematic concept that needs this bal uh, painful balancing act. I need to add here also, Lars Erik, that we are writing this now and discussing this now in a context where the, the where, where we, the international community, have behind us a series of rather, rather disappointing exercises in in uh, peace operations. Uh, and the uh, the outcome of those and the lessons learned from those uh, are also needed to be taken into account, uh, which often says that uh, you need legitimacy and therefore you need the UN, but the UN uh, needs uh, a United Security Council, which is hard harder to arrive at in terms of international tension. So there's this uh, realization also of the risk of uh, vicious circles that need, need to be somehow reversed into a, a benign circle. Yeah. But also, I mean, we have all, all those experiences of various kinds of operations trying to deal militarily with, with, uh, with conflicts that are seen to be threats. Yeah, and now, of course, uh, when we did present our first version of the report early this year, we got the comment, so what about COVID-19? What does it mean? And we have tried in this version of the report to factor in as much as we have could, could have done. We didn't know the outcome of the US election. We, we didn't know whether we could work together with our American friends on, on this. We now hope that we can, obviously, but still uh, the, the challenges are absolutely enormous, also in terms of economic resources. I mean, how much can countries afford to invest into uh, this broad range of security uh, areas uh, that we are, we are, we are discussing? Mm. Um, Mikael, maybe we should wrap it up by going back to, and I will, uh, we will see on the screen now, the, the cover of the, of the book, which uh, contains a quote from Borel that you, you mentioned, uh, in the last 10 months, our neighborhood has become engulfed in flames from Libya to Belarus. This uh, Borel wrote in Financial Times in September. And just a few days before that, uh, there was a Swedish government statement to the parliament saying that Sweden will participate fully in and shape EU cooperation in a way that safeguards both Sweden's and Europe's interests. Europe must take greater responsibility for its own security, which is a tall order, not, not to say. I mean, this is a very, very tall order. And when we have been looking at the response side, uh, which we have, we have reproduced some of the conclusions, the observations on that, 
on the cover page because we feel they are very important in their medium to long-term perspective that uh, we know that crisis brings forward uh, 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 action. Um, it doesn't bring forward early action in most cases, but uh, at, after some time there is action, almost in all cases. And what we find here, however, is that action is going to be needed over so many dimensions, so many areas, over so, such a long time in order to build the appropriate security levels, the, the capacity to face so many security problems ahead that one can really wonder where the political will for, to do all of this will come from. And I assume that it will only come from knowledge. Uh, and uh, our contribution is aimed at broadening perhaps the perceptions a little bit um, to bring in more of uh, resolve in this sense into Swedish policy in the first place. Mm. I might add here only that, uh, of course, we are in this context, uh, the, the con context you're now describing, also talking about strategic autonomy. And then, of course, uh, we are in the uh, sort of the nerve center of a discussion that, that is uh, uh, not going to stop because uh, Biden won the U.S. elections, because there is a lot of things now, issues now that will be uh, sort of added to the pre-existing ones. The context, of course, is now different uh, given in view of the outcome of, of those elections when it comes to, uh, to political language, but there is a, a host of questions arising as to what the EU needs to do further. And every, every speech that you say, not least in, in the context of Brexit now, which will uh, in itself change the uh, political map of Europe in, in various ways. Uh, it is being assumed that in terms of security and there is, will still be NATO, but still there is a discussion flowing from all the statements from the, all the ministers of Germany and France and others that we need somehow to take. It's not just a question of going on uh, more of the same. There are things that need to be, need to be changed, but hopefully that change will uh, further enhance transatlantic cooperation. Uh, and this is, uh, I think, the aim of most serious uh, thinkers on, on security nowadays, because there is still the, uh, the uh, challenges from the East and from Russia and from China behind, uh, behind Russia, so to speak. So uh, a lot of things uh, needing to be dealt with. Yeah, and conceptually, this means that what we see right now in the discourse on the EU level, for instance, is a broadening of the concept of strategic autonomy to involve very much some of the lessons learned from the COVID-19 crisis, namely that Europe has to be uh, uh, more cautious about its dependencies in terms of low security. And uh, one of these uh, conclusions that, that there are, uh, that is uh, discussed in this context is, uh, is uh, developing, for instance, uh, security of supply closer to Europe, including through a partnership with Africa, by the way. So there is also a positive agenda here. And you have to realize the distinction between uh, in enhanced uh, self-reliance in a way, in terms of self-defense on the one hand, yeah. and in terms of geopolitical relevance on the other, more globally. Yeah. These are two, uh, of course, complementary things, but uh, can be distinguished. 
and, okay. and, and of course civil defense is upgraded in the last uh, government proposition to the, to the uh, Swedish parliament on what needs to be uh, attended to in the coming years, not only the military defense side. So we're okay. getting close to the end. Yep. Do you want to wish, wish to say something more as a message to the, our prospective readers, hopefully? <laughs> um, I, my last word will be to say that I will be intensely interested in seeing how the post-election scenarios will evolve in the US. Yeah. But that's something else.